All developed countries with universal health insurance provide coverage of prescription drugs. All that is, except for Canada. Here, prescription drugs are financed by a patchwork of public and private drug plans that varies from province to province. This leaves many Canadians with little to no drug coverage at all. About 1 in 10 Canadians currently say they can't afford to take their medication as prescribed. So when it comes to bringing about public drug coverage for Canada, what have we been waiting for? Well, concern over cost seems to be one barrier, but this may have been unfounded. And we now have some new evidence that speaks to that. I'm Dr. Matthew Stanbrook, Deputy Editor for CMAJ. Today, we're delighted to be speaking with Dr. Danielle Martin, a family physician and Vice President of Medical Affairs and Health System Solutions at Women's College Hospital in Toronto. Dr. Martin, in collaboration with researchers at the University of British Columbia and Harvard University, has co-authored a research article estimating the cost of public coverage of prescription drugs. And I'll take you right to the bottom line. Their economic model predicts that universal pharmacare would cost Canada relatively little and would actually yield substantial savings to the private sector in particular. Dr. Martin, hello and welcome. Thank you. We've had recommendations for implementing national pharmacare for decades, almost since Tommy Douglas introduced Medicare to Canada. Why, after all this time, doesn't Canada have national pharmacare? Of course, there are lots of factors contributing to that, including history and politics and culture. But I think really a very key barrier, certainly in the last couple of decades, has been the perception that universal public coverage of necessary medications would be too costly for governments. So this study shows that, in fact, that long health belief is false. What has allowed you and your, your colleagues to look at the cost of pharmacare now in a better way than people have been able to do before? So we were able to do this study because the most recent edition of the Canadian RX Atlas contained much more detailed information about use and cost of drugs purchased by province. So for the first time, there were actually publicly available data about the cost of different types of drugs that are purchased by patients with different kinds of drug coverage, whether that's public drug insurance, private insurance, and for patients paying out of pocket. So we were able to use those data to compute detailed estimates of the cost of universal pharmacare, both overall and across 30 different therapeutic categories of treatment. Now, to do this model, this is an economic model to predict what costs are. If you had to anticipate what the likely effects of introducing pharmacare would be on drug utilization patterns and, and put those into your model, can you take us through what some of those key factors are that determine the effects of pharmacare on costs? So the first thing that one needs to understand when you're trying to figure out how much universal pharmacare would cost is how much we're already spending. And so uh, that's what the data I was mentioning allowed us to do is to look at what we're already spending both publicly and privately for drugs uh, across all the different Canadian jurisdictions. Once you know what we're already spending, then you can develop your best estimates about how that spending would change and how it would shift if we were to implement universal national pharmacare. And there are a number of key factors that determine those shifts, but there are basically three categories of significant savings uh, that one can anticipate. And in looking uh, both at what we see happening in some Canadian provinces, as well as 
international comparator countries, we were able to estimate what those shifts would look like under a different sets of assumptions. So the, the three big drivers of change um, and savings are first, increased use of generic drugs where, where it's appropriate. Second, lower generic drug prices, which are usually achieved through bulk purchasing. And third, lower brand name prices through more effective price negotiations. So our analysis essentially suggests that if you take each of those three factors, each of them would overall reduce spending in Canada by about 11% for a total savings of over 30% in what we currently spend on drugs. One of the big ways in which Pharmacare tends to reduce costs is by purchasing a whole lot more on a national basis. You can drive costs down, you can negotiate better prices for your drugs, and uh, you can make use of more generic drugs. Is that correct? Exactly. Wouldn't there also be uh, more costs because people who didn't have drugs available to them before because they were too expensive would now use drugs? Absolutely, and we did take that into account in our analysis, and we were able to actually use a Canadian estimate, and we looked at Quebec in estimating what we could expect prices to increase once we implement universal coverage. So uh, you're right that we would expect that expenditures would go up when more people are covered, and then we would expect that they would go down once you're able to substitute to generic prices and purchase all of your medicines in bulk. Let's get to the key finding of your study, which is this output of what Pharmacare would estimate to cost. And in your best estimate is about $1 billion more per year uh, in terms of cost to government. Now, that amount $1 billion sounds like a lot of money, but can you sort of put that into context for us in terms of what governments are spending on health care already? So, in fact, our estimate is that national pharmacare might, depending on how it's designed, might even save governments money. And I think that is the major finding of this study. Depending on how much a public program we're able to leverage the savings uh, that we've discussed, the estimate of the cost of national pharmacare ranges from actually a savings to government of $3 billion to an expenditure of about $5 billion per year. And so, you know, essentially our conclusion is it appears that we can say with certainty, actually, that a well-run program, uh, a program that matched performance found in several comparable countries to Canada, would actually cost governments little or no additional money overall. And the reason for that is because I think this is something that many Canadians don't understand. Governments in Canada already spend huge amounts of money on prescription medications. Uh, They do so through public drug plans, which cover seniors, often people on social assistance. But they also do so by spending a lot of money on private drug coverage for public sector employees. So we estimate that governments in Canada already spend about $2.5 billion on the prescription drugs that we were looking at. So when you take into account that we're already spending $2.5 billion publicly, and then you estimate what the savings would be from the factors that you and I have discussed, even in the absolute worst case scenario, the cost to government would be far less than what we would save in the private sector. And in the best case scenario, we could actually cover everyone for less money than governments are currently spending. Is it reasonable to think that government budgets could absorb that without, for example, having to increase our taxes in order to do it? You know, of course, these numbers sound big, but when you consider the magnitude of health budgets and and you think about a billion dollars, you know, divided across federal government and uh, 13 subnational jurisdictions and consider the savings that would accrue to employers 
to citizens who would no longer having to be paying out of pocket. Um, in fact, it turns out to be a, a quite significant savings. I mean, I think the real question is, can we afford not to do this, given that Canada is now the only country that has a universal health care insurance plan that doesn't cover drugs and that pharmaceutical costs are among the highest growing costs in the Canadian healthcare system consistently year over year. I want to come back to that private sector expenditure that you mentioned because that was quite striking in your study. You you estimated that the savings to the private sector would be huge, an estimated $8.2 billion per year was your, your point estimate. And I think some of where that comes from might be come as a bit of surprise to Canadians and even to our CMAJ readers that uh, a substantial chunk of, uh, of this is, is broken down as well into, into public spending. Can you sort of explain where these private expenditures are coming from now, who is paying for this? Sure, and I do think it's a key finding because if you consider that the incremental cost to government might be in the range of a billion dollars, but that the private sector would be saving eight billion dollars annually under a universal pharmacare program, you know, you, one really starts to understand how the how the scales sort of tip here. The reality is, we are all paying for our our prescription medications through one form or another. Private spending in Canada on prescriptions comes from a combination of -of out-of-pocket spending by uninsured patients or people whose insurance doesn't cover whatever it is that they need, and private insurance, uh, which is for the most part sponsored by employers and unions as part of employment benefits available to some workers in Canada. So as many CMAJ readers who are prescribing in Canada will know, whether a person has coverage uh, and what kind of coverage they have can be a major driving factor in the prescribing decisions that we that we make. So that $8 billion, $8.2 billion, taken off of the backs of Canadians who are currently paying out of pocket for their prescriptions to the tune of about $4.5 billion, or who are paying indirectly for private insurance, really leads to a pretty striking finding about the savings to the private sector. I thought that one particularly interesting attribute of your studies that you were able to break down the costs among different drug classes and model independently the expected changes related to each class. And what you found by that was that drug costs are actually driven primarily by actually a relatively few number of of classes within the overall total. Uh, Now, some of those are classes like biologic drugs, where more and more of our new drugs are coming from. And these, even under pharmacare, would be the big drivers of cost. So with future drug development in mind, what implication does that have for the future costs of pharmacare? Is this $1 billion average estimate and the, or the estimates around that, is that likely to be a stable estimate or, or is that likely to be un, more uncertain over time? It's a great question because, of course, we all know that, uh, and in fact, our study confirms that the majority of incremental costs to government uh, from national pharmacare is likely to be mostly driven by a few uh, expensive drug classes. And you mentioned biologics as an example. Of course, expensive cancer therapies would be another. Uh, And the reality is that Canada and not just us, but all industrialized countries have to be prepared for the arrival of new medicines in the future, most of which are going to be priced at levels far above the sort of traditional value for money thresholds. So, I mean, of course, we want access to new medicines. But the question is, what puts us in the strongest possible position to negotiate the best prices we can get when those drugs come on the market? And 
you know, it's it's clear, not just from this work, but from previous work, that the bigger your purchasing power, if you come together as a nation, the better position you're in to be able to negotiate better prices for high-cost drugs in the future. And so while we, we shouldn't sort of sugarcoat the pressures that will be put on any payer for for drugs in the future if more and more expensive drugs come onto the market there's no doubt that the best way to be ready and to respond to those evolving markets is going to be under a under a single payer program so let's say we finally do get pharmacare tell us what that looks like for the patients we're treating and for uh, the costs of care to the healthcare system and do the services we utilize? What, what would be the biggest differences that we'd see right away from that? The group that would first and foremost notice the difference are the uh, one in 10 Canadians who currently don't fill their prescriptions or take their medicines as prescribed because of concerns about cost. And so uh, the greatest beneficiaries right off the bat of a national pharmacare program would be those patients who need access to medically necessary prescription medicines and currently forego their treatment because they can't afford it. I also think that, especially from a clinical perspective, we would begin to see really exciting evolution around quality, quality of prescribing and safety of drugs under a national program because uh, the existence of a national program would really increase the incentive economically and otherwise for governments and providers and patients to try to work together both to reduce inappropriate prescribing, which we know is a problem in Canada, as well as improve the safety of the drugs that we're using. And so my hope for patients is that the benefit would not just be about improving access, but would also be about improving quality and safety. But of course, in the the other thing that we can't forget is that pharmacare would, would clearly be a big benefit for employers and for citizens because it would save us a lot of money. So those $8.2 billion in, in savings are dollars that could be redistributed to improve our quality of life in a large number of other ways. I have to wonder as a physician, are we as individual physicians doing enough on this issue? Are there things we need to do more uh, if we're convinced by your data or have been convinced already to make it happen? I mean, you not too long ago became something of a national folk hero, actually, for simply standing up in front of a, a Senate committee in the U.S. and calmly and intelligently giving the facts about uh, our Canadian health system and correcting misconceptions. Do more of us need to follow your example and to, to do, do more to actually bring this to fruition? I mean, it's always been my view that physicians are, although not on our own, but certainly in a very privileged position around advocacy on issues like this, because we have two windows into issues like the pharmacare issue. First, the effect on our patients every day of the flaws in our existing system. So we have access to the, the stories and the narratives that illustrate why this is an important issue. And we all can feel passionately about those issues because they have faces that we can picture in our minds when we, when we think about those issues. But the second thing, of course, is that we have the training and capacity to understand the evidence so that work like this research and other research that has been done has the ability to influence and affect our views. So it's, to me, it's that combination of 
frontline experience and uh, ability to digest and understand evidence that that means that we absolutely as physicians should be the champions for equitable and affordable access to appropriate medicines for all Canadians. And I do think we need to be doing more both individually and collectively through our medical organizations to heed that call. You've given us a lot to think about. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much. We've been speaking with Dr. Danielle Martin, Vice President of Medical Affairs and Health System Solutions at Women's College Hospital. To read the article she co-authored, visit cmaj.ca.